Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where you're smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. <laughs> and we are live on Oz Property Investors. We bring the big names and we have the big fun. How are you going, Mr. Mr. Scott, Mr. Agate at, uh, at the Hello House? How are you going? I'm good, boys. And you? I right, look. I'm yeah. I'm feeling feeling uh, fantastic. Pumped pump for the session and and keen to just bring the energy, bring the value, and and just unpack some deals, unpack some negotiating. So that's what we're awesome. all about. Um, and how, how about yourself, Joe? What's 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 happening, mate? Mate, I'm bloody pumped. I'm bloody pumped to get get the deep dive, the the, the deal deep dive with Scotty Agate. So um, triple D. Not the due diligence. Triple D's. Triple yeah. due diligence. Well, I've actually been to the site as well. Scotty showed me the beautiful uh, pool that once was um, while it was pretty much just dirt. And uh, I'm excited to see what this thing becomes. So right. interesting. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and, um, I hope there's plans. <laughs> As, as as always, uh, folks, for your questions, comments, it's going to be heaps, and it's going to be all, all that all that good stuff. And if you're watching on YouTube, always uh, throw the throw the comments and the questions in there as well. We love those. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's crack into let's get into a quote of the week. We'll, we'll let our guest go first because he's got an awesome one. I looked. Oh sweet. Okay. Well, mine's from Tim Grover, who is um, Michael Jordan's fitness coach through his career when he was at his greatest heights and uh, also Kobe Bryant and lots of other winners, especially in NBA circles. I'm not a big NBA fan, but I've just read Tim Grover's book, which is awesome. And his quote in that that really resonated with me is, winners never worry about losing. They just worry about running out of time. I love that one. What resonates with you on that, Scotty? Well, I don't think you need to, you know, even in the heat of the battle, right under that extreme pressure, they're not worried about losing the game. That's never in their mindset. They're never going to lose. They're just worried about how they've got enough time to make the winning shot. I just love that, that their focus is just so channeled to that. And there's just no negativity in their brain. They're just focused on nailing the shot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can that that can cross over in lots of different uh, attributes in life. But, yeah, I like that one. Oh, solid. More for it. Good. What about you, Big Jeff? What have you got, mate? What's your quote of the so week? My, my one's also an American sport, so it's a somebody somebody a bit uh, a bit older than Tim Grover, but and and it's a, a Babe Ruth. So if you haven't heard of Babe Ruth, for, I'm, I'm sure everybody has, but never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. So I think we, we've sort of talked about sort of fear and failure, and and it all comes down to negotiation and deals, I suppose, because that's what it's all about, and that's what I wanted to emphasize there that you've you've got to get in the game because you're going to get you're going to get knocked down in negotiating and, and just you're going to miss out on cracking deals and and uh, people will pay more than what you're willing to pay so that's what I'm all about so uh, making sure that yeah. you uh, keep on getting the game and, and make sure you yeah do do like good stuff how about you Joe if you're, if you're not making offers you're not making money so throw some offers out there people um, <laughs> yeah. Mike that's not my quote though but that that's a JT special that one <laughs> so tough, 2022 yeah. <laughs> you're not making deals you, if you're not making offers you're not making money you don't get get yeah <laughs> is uh let us never negotiate out of fear but let us never fear to negotiate and scott agate you're a man that never fears to negotiate um i love it at, at all 
to favourites. Live and die by the sword. Yeah. And look, we negotiate in every facet of life, right? Like whether it's with the kids, with your wife, with your partner at work, whatever it is with clients. So I think if you can get your confidence up and and uh, your repertoire uh, stronger, your negotiation game stronger, then it's going to work through different facets of life. That's what I firmly think. Yeah, hundred percent. It's just communication at the end of the day, especially with real estate agents and and vendors and stuff. You've, it's it's a people's game. Um, but let's run into this. Let's run our first ad for an amazing sponsor that we always love. Um, oh, it's Mr. Scott Agat as well. So let's dive in. Least, as I was thinking. <laughs> this live session is sponsored by Scott Agat from Hello House. Scott has created the world's first property negotiation as a service business. So what does that mean? Well, let's think about it. When was the last time you negotiated on anything over $100, let alone a property that is going to be one of the biggest investments of your life? The vendor, they have a trained negotiator on their side in the form of a real estate agent. That's kind of like you stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson after never training a day of boxing in your life. These guys are trained professionals and that's what they do day in and day out. And this is what Hello House does every single day as well. They negotiate on property to get the best buy price from the real estate agents. Scott Agat, he's the expert negotiator. He has been in this industry since 1995. He owned and operated three Bell franchises. Scott was the guy that was teaching these real estate agents all these agent games. He knows all of their tricks. Having him on your side is going to give you a massive unfair advantage and literally save you tens of thousands of dollars. Unlike other ways of purchasing property, Scott's incentives are aligned with you, the buyer, meaning the more money he saves you, the more money he makes, which is what you want. You need to have those incentives aligned. Scott has kindly offered our group a massive discount on the retainer fee for his service. So if you're looking to buy your next home or investment property, click the link below to get in touch. There you go, Joe. Yeah, I just realized so, that the Tinder swindler is is uh, in that ad, I think, if you look closely. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm joking, but there's someone that looks very much like him, if you've seen that oh, Netflix doco. <laughs> I'd like to put that one on, on, on the watch list, but uh, yeah, that, that's uh, look for, for those of you who have not seen Scott before. I'll, I'll give him I'll give him an intro because I think it's important that for people watching at home, but to, who we sort of understand who's actually in front of us and and why he's sort of on this session because so he's been in been a real a leading real estate agent for over twenty plus years or was I suppose we've we've experienced I suppose. Are you overseeing thousands? I mean, I don't even say tens of thousands now of property transactions. Um, and you, you've done that game playing, the strategies, the mistruths, all that sort of stuff. And you've purchased, I think you've purchased more of this now. You, you might need to update your website, but it says 26. So is that, there's more than 26 now? Yeah. Is that, is that more than 29, I think it is. 29. Yeah. Mate, you got to update your yeah. website. But um, No, yeah. and, and and the thing I love about you is you, you're on the side of, of, of the buyer looking to help them not overpay too much. So... That's why you're here today, and, and I just think you're, you're you're a guy who adds a whole bunch of value, and is willing to always pick up the phone and just just jump on it and help people out. So we've seen that time and time again with the group. So did I miss anything, Joe or, or Scott? Or what else? What else do I need to say about Scott? No, that's a he good created rap. the world's world's first property negotiation as a service business. I think I said yeah. that in the ad, don't I? I can't Probably hear the ad. So I, I never. <laughs> yes. Well, and that, that's interesting. That and you're absolutely crushing it with with a Hello House. Um, but Scott, we're in a very hot market at the moment. How are you finding the negotiations? Like, what is? Can you give us a bit of a round the grounds on negotiation in this current market? Because it's it's tough out there. It's not easy. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, look, it's the same as always. There's different pockets across the country and within cities where it's substantially harder than other areas. You know, you point to Brisbane and southeast Queensland as two areas in particular that are just out of control. It's really difficult to buy in those areas um, just be, because of the sheer buyer depth and how fast the prices are moving. But other pockets, there's some really good opportunities. Um, what I'm seeing come out now at the moment is in Queensland, there's this real rush from agents to sell on day one. And I think it's just boom time for them. And it's like there's a lot of cowboy agents or cowgirl agents that just want to get deals done as quickly as possible. So there's certain ways you've got to negotiate in those marketplaces to win. We can unpack that and deep dive into it further later. But I'm talking about things like limiting the conditions that you put in play. Can you change your offer from, you know, reliant on finance approval to getting rid of that finance clause? That alone basically um, guarantees you the deal if you're going to pay towards the, you know, the the fair market value in this in 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 my experience in Southeast Queensland in competition. So there's a few things like that. In other areas, I'm finding, um, for example, I just did a deal to seminars. So I was talking to you guys off air in Melbourne, and I'm finding in Melbourne there's a lot of agents that are telling me two different things: like market's red hot, market's struggling, buyers are, you know, everywhere. Buyers are kind of hit and miss, and it's like this. You're just kind of feeling my way as to who's telling the truth and who's not. I had one agent in particular yeah. tell me in a deal that, you know, we've got X price and you're going to have to pay Y to buy it. I'm like, okay, so I'll go back and talk to my client and we'll work out where the research sits on that one. And then rang him back today to make an offer. And he said, oh, okay, well, this will buy at this number, which is different to the number that he told me in the first place, substantially less. And we've got this offer on the table, which is different to the offer that he told me that he had before. So I'm like, you've just got to be careful. And I've got a really good memory like that in terms of what an agent's told me and what numbers are. And, and I'm like, okay, well, if you've got X number, then what happened to Y? And, you know, how come your client's going to sell at this price today and they weren't going to do that 24 hours ago? And then, you know, then you realize, okay, well, they're bluffing here. There's possibly no one else. And this is where I can turn the screw and take advantage to save um, the client money. And in this instance, that just under well just over 1.8 million i saved the client 25 grand just then so not an insignificant amount of um money for anybody and that makes a big difference and it's just because you've got the ability to read the room and ask lots of questions be inquisitive and um you know be noting what they're saying to you at all times yeah well i mean so yeah you might have saved 25 but someone could have gone in there and overpaid 125 right like um you, you correct you, you, yeah well, so Absolutely. from the price that he told me 24 hours ago to the price that we just agreed was $75,000 less. So my client would have gone wow. and paid the 75 grand more, but he actually paid 25 less than what, he's, what he reset the target price at for me. And the target price for me is their sort of revised maximum walkaway number. So how did yeah. you get to the what? agent to be able to tell you those things, right? Like he, you got him, you, you would, I spoke to him and said, hey, what, what will buy this thing today? And then he went, you know, 1.9 um, or what does it kind of look like? Yeah. So, you know, I'll ring up and just say, hey, this is me. I'm from here. And I just want to introduce myself and say g'day. And the, normally what I say is I just want to know what the lay of the land is with this deal. So talk. And then just shut up. And I'll, oh, oh okay. Well, talk. you know, asked in at auction. Or, well, I don't say talk, but I just over to you, you know, the mic's yours. And normally they just kind of and tell you the story. And then you can realize that if they tell you way too much detail, then it's horse shit. 
Um, so you've just got to be able to read through that because they're trying to cover their tracks by telling you too much information. Good agents or most agents, I think, based on my experience, will just tell you that the facts of where it is. Like, you know, we passed in at X on Saturday. There wasn't enough interest in it. Um, we didn't get to where the vendors' expectations are. The vendors would sell today at Y. Um, the best interest we've got currently is less than that. Um, you know, there we go. There's a, we want this, the market's there. It's a negotiation somewhere in between. So then I'll start to unpack that as well and then go into, well, what's the ideal scenario for your client? Um, how many people are you competing against? What time frame are you going to wrap this up with? You know, in other words, is there someone breathing down our neck right now that's really close to doing a deal? Because that changes the action that my I've got to make or my buyer's got to make in that situation. So it's always asking questions. It's just like this data point deep dive for me. And I'm just asking, asking, asking and letting them talk and listening and recording all that in my mind and then basically doing a feedback loop. And then I put that back together to them in an offer that reduces the amount of conditions or speed humps and just makes it as attractive as possible. So, you know, one little, I'll just use this trick because I just did this just before and it worked and I've done this hundreds of times. Um, and it's a stupid thing, but I rang the agent and I said, he he told me the price that I needed to pay just then um, to get the deal across the line. And it was because it was another buyer just about to exchange. And I said, well, I'm not going to pay that price. And you and I both know why this client is just not going to pay it. So we just won't get there, that number. So what number will you sell it to me tonight, knowing that we'll pay a fair price, but we just won't pay that number. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, oh, okay. Um, yep, I get it. Okay, cool. Then come in at this number and I'll get it done. I was like, okay, cool. There you can have that number. Go forward and put it forward. And then he does and the deal's done straight away. So any buyer in that situation would have just gone, okay, great. Well, we'll, well most buyers would have just said, yep, we'll pay that number and wrap it up because it was $25,000 less than what they're expecting to pay. But just that one little silly line of, we're you know, you know what the buyer's like. He's not going to pay that number. What can you do? What, you know, what discount can you give me basically is what I'm asking. Like you walk down the shops and, you know, I like those shoes, but can you do it for me at a better price? Don't be afraid to ask. I just ask those questions and they obviously want to get the deal done. And if you put the psychology together in terms of the timeline of all this as well, passed in at auction on the weekend, they've got a certain time frame when they need to get an unconditional sale done by, which is Wednesday night in Melbourne or in Victoria. The deal has to come together fast. Um, they're motivated to sell it, right? If it goes to Thursday, yeah. motivation changes. So use that as leverage however you can and, and use it to your advantage. So was there another bidder? Was there someone else involved on the other side? Supposedly. supposedly. But, I mean, you, you, there's, you, you can never know that for sure. I mean, he was adamant there was a buyer at a certain price and the seller had counter-offered at the price that I told you they asked me to pay. So that part of the story kind of um, feels legit to me, the way that he worded it to me. Um, and he was he was saying along the lines of, look, this is going to exchange tonight anyway, whether it's you or, or the other buyer. So it's gone tonight um, either way. So, you know, and that's when I went back to my client and said, okay, well, you've just got to make a decision. Like you can run this till tomorrow and you may end up having more power in your hands, but it also might get sold before midnight tonight. So, you know, do you want to lose the property or do you just want to step up and, and engage in this <laughs> unconditional dog fight and make it happen? And he wanted the property it worked within the parameters that he set me in terms of price and we were able to negotiate that small saving again beyond that you know that initial amount that i discussed and that was just another little win and it's better to keep the money in your pocket right like if it's if it's just 30 seconds or 60 seconds to throw that line out there and wait and that's worth yeah. five grand well then that's not an in, what do you get paid an hour at work it's not an insignificant amount of money 
No, it's absolutely ridiculous. And th- these are the little tips and tricks that you need to pick up when you're negotiating with, you know, a trained professional, like a real estate agent. Um, 100%. Um, so what a... Sorry, go, Jeff. I was just going to say, because it, it sounds like I'm a, if, if I'm negotiating in, a, in, a, in an unconditional environment, I, I get a little nervous because then I can't necessarily get... So what sort of... Uh, I mean, because the reason, I mean, what happens if the valuation comes in? So, I mean, how do you sort of... Have you ever had issues with... I mean, I don't know if this is beyond the scope of... But how do you sort of help your clients in terms of that? Like, is there... You just, I suppose you do your research and you know um, what, what, the, what the comparators are going to be, or particularly in a hot market. Well, go back to the fundamentals, which is the most important, you know, foundation of the whole negotiation success, which is understand true market value at any given time, understand the market depth in terms of the buyer competition that you're going to be competing against and understand how hard it's going to be to replicate that asset. That that determines how hard you go at something or, you know, whether you, you can kind of lowball slightly below where you might think it's worth because you know you can replicate that opportunity in two weeks' time or four weeks' time. So for an investor that you know that's not emotionally invested in a property and they're buying a three-bedroom house in a suburban town and um, they can find those every, you know, one of those listings comes on every four hours or eight hours, then they may have that flexibility to offer lower. But for the owner-occupier or an investor that's looking for the needle in a haystack, um, you know, you've just got to understand how hard it is to replicate it and really understand the value so you can take, you know, take control of that negotiation and, and not have that fear of loss if you go too low and you miss out. Did I answer the question? I kind of got off track. Yeah. I was, I was even thinking because I, I, I've, I mean, auctions and unconditional offers scare me a little bit. Well, not scare me, but it's kind of because um, if, if somebody sort of then, if, if for whatever reason their finance doesn't get approved, so I suppose it's then making sure they've got a, a great team around them. So they've got the negotiator, they've got the mortgage broker, they've got the conveyance, so they've got all the team. Um, so I think that I've kind of answered my own question there, I think. So. Yeah, well, we talked in the group today. There was a um, post in there actually that was quite um, heavily responded to or engaged with along the lines of I'm going to go and buy interstate sight unseen and yep. what are the pitfalls kind of things. Well, there's a lot, right? There's a lot that could go wrong in that situation. So you've got to surround yourself with those right individuals, I think, that can help you do it. But to dial that back a bit and talk about, you know, I guess the question where you're alluding to in terms of waiving a a finance clause and going unconditional, what's the difference from doing that in Queensland than buying at auction? Or the difference to buying in New South Wales where basically every agent wants a Section 66W to waive the five-day cooling off. So in different states and by different methods of sale, people are used to buying without a finance clause. So if your broker is saying to you, you must have a finance clause, this is high risk or whatever it might be, um, or that it's a unique property and there's no direct comparables for it, then sure, I get it. Okay, but if you've got finance approval that's very recent, you haven't changed jobs, you're in a strong financial position, you're competing in a marketplace where you know the prices and you haven't gone overboard, you've paid what you had to to buy the property and no more than that, and you didn't pay that emotional premium. If it's the difference between winning the property and not winning the property just because of the finance clause and the market's moving at 2% a month or more, which is what's happening in Queensland, how much is it going to cost you? by having that finance clause in there. So some of these negotiations that I get involved with are, you know, you're one of five, you want a 15, you want a 50 buyers that are making a formal offer on the same day. I'll talk to the agent's agent agent afterwards and say, look, what, how did all this play out? And he's like, well, 50 offers, 48 of them were conditional on finance. They went straight in the bin. So there was two offers that were unconditional. It was between you and them and they got it or you got it based on whatever the price was. So if you know that, that your offer is just going straight in the bin, why are you bothering? 
So yeah. you've got to think, how do I hack this situation? Like I've got absolutely zero chance of buying if I'm going to put a finance clause in Southeast Queensland when I'm competing against tons of other buyers. Unless you're buying a dud asset, yep, or you're overpaying. So if you're, yeah. if you're doing those things and they accept your cooling off, you know, or your, your finance clause and it's 14, 21, 28 days, whatever it might be, then I would imagine that you're massively overpaying or you're buying a dud asset that they know they can't find a lot of competition for you. And you don't want to be doing either of those two things. So you've got to be really conscious of that. I'm all about hacking different things as best I can to get to the finish line first and at low cost or no cost. I think that one you've just got to weigh up. And as I say, it's, it's horses for courses. Not everyone's going to be in a strong financial position. Not everyone's yeah. buying an asset that's really easy to back up in terms of price. But if it is yeah. and you are in a strong position, then it is seriously worth considering waving that cooling off. I believe that's just my personal advice um, or my personal so thought. Is that the same with finance? No pest and building, no finance clause, just done and dusted, everything unconditional? Uh, I think you should be doing a, a building and pest no matter what if you're buying a house. Um, I don't think you should be yep. waving those things. I'm talking about waving the finance clause only because um, you're just going to go straight in the bin because people... Yeah. You know, so it's kind uh, of, so kind of about having, reading, so having yeah. a reading pest and building clause doesn't change that. So if they saw a 14-day pest and building and a, plus a 14-day finance, they don't just look at it like, oh, that's just not a strong, remove the finance clause, keep the pest and building, and it's still it's still a great... Who who the hell needs 14 days for a building and pest report? Who needs seven days for a building and pest report? Yeah. So I'll, yeah, I'll go true. in and offer two days or whatever, and then I'll say to the buyer... Don't don't wait for the report. Go to the property or ring the um, inspector and get a first-hand you know report so you can go forward with confidence and go unconditional. Two yeah. days versus seven days or fourteen. If the offers are pretty much the same price, the owner's going to go with you because it's better terms. So you don't need seven days. You don't need fourteen days. They're ridiculous. Whoever's coaching you into doing those long-winded um, terms like that, they're just putting you behind the eight ball right from the start. But I would much rather. That the buyer does um, their building and pest report upfront. It should always be done if, if, if it can be. Southeast Queensland is a good example because it, it often can't be. They won't let you in until the first Saturday and the property's sold Saturday night. So there's not a lot of chance that you can do anything. And they're <laughs> deliberately not doing a building and pest and making it available because they want to sell it warts and all behind the scenes. So very deceptive very behavior, nice. I believe, and forcing people to buy like that. But that's just market conditions that are driving those actions. So in a normal world and in areas outside of that super hot, you know, 400 to 900 grand in Southeast Queensland house market at the moment, I would be encouraging buyers to do the building and pest first before you offer, because then you know warts and all what the property condition is. Use the negative things in that report to basically form your offer. So, you know, I'll give you a quick example. If we both thought the property was a million bucks, okay, and I came in and did a building and pest inspection, it was ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars worth of work. So I made my offer nine ninety, okay, with no condition on a building and pest. Joe comes in, offers a million bucks, and then says, "I need a building and pest for five days or seven days." Well, if you come back with a report, Joe, within that time, and there's twenty thousand dollars worth of work, you're going to chip Jeff you know, the seller, you're going to say, mate, there's 20 grand's worth of work on this property. Um, we need a discount off the price. Well, I know as the agent in that situation that we're going to be less forgiving to you, okay, as a buyer. We, we know you're emotionally on the hook, yeah, 
And we know that we can negotiate you with you really hard, especially in this rising market, because there's so many buyers behind you and you've got this massive fear that you're going to get mowed down by another party. So you'll give up more of those um, problem points and just move forward. So you'll probably proceed at a million bucks. But if you gave that to the owner the other way and said up front, well, this is my offer and I'm factoring in all these things and I don't need the report, and, you know, I don't need time to do the report, they're very likely to accept that offer in the first instance. And you've given them a complete reason why and you've been transparent and open and you've got more chance of getting the property across the line doing it that way. So I'd much rather do it that way because I know from experience that if you do it the other way around and you offer subject to a building and pest and you find problems, I'm going to negotiate real hard as the agent and you're going to give up more than you want. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Well, one of the th things that I'm finding a lot um, out there is that the the, vend the agents want to take it to an open home. They want to take the property. How, let's say a client comes to you and says, hey, this property just listed today and I want to buy it. Um, today's Wednesday. It's going to go to open on Friday, uh, on Saturday. How do you get, how do you have, what's the conversation look like with the agent to get the property off the market and get the property straight away before they take it to the open? It's really hard to do in these boom areas. So some of the tricks that yeah. I might use is, uh, again, asking questions as to what the motivation is of the seller because <laughs> you'll, you'll find occasionally that the seller's already bought and they need to sell. So if you knock on the door to the agent and really push to get in earlier, you may just get in earlier because it suits the vendor to, to sell it as quickly as possible. So I would be asking that question always to see if I get an opportunity to get through there. Um, I might ask questions about, you know, are they going there to do any work on the property, a building and pest report, any extra photos or any other reason why they're going to be at the property that I could tag along and my buyer could tag along prior to the first open for inspection. Another little hack here that I've had clients do over the years that I've encouraged them is to organise a building and pest themselves and get it done before the first open for inspection on Saturday because everyone else is going to offer subject to a building and pest. So if you're the only person that's done it, you do it on the Wednesday or Thursday, then you can sit there with an unconditional offer and say, well, there it is. I walked in the door two seconds later, bang, there's our really strong offer. And there's no point doing all of that and then going in at 90% towards what market value is. You'll just get pushed to the bottom of the queue. You're better off to then go with a really good offer and make it a compelling reason. Okay, here's a strong offer on market value. We don't need any of these conditions and we're ready to roll. It's unconditional. Take our offer and just make it really easy for the agent to convey that offer to the client. So that's a little trick. The other trick to do um, with the building and pest is if you do order it before you can actually get in and do the first open for inspection, turn up if you can. Turn up when you know the building inspector's there. Worst case scenario, you'll get a face-to-face -face with the building inspector, and that means you can drop 24 hours out of the time in terms of waiting for the written report. Best case scenario, and this happens often, is that they'll let you in. The agent's on the phone or they've sent someone from the property management department or an assistant. They're out, you know, cleaning their shoes or picking their nose or whatever in the garden. They couldn't care less. They're there for an hour and a half. They're, you know, they're on their phone talking to a mate and just yeah. streamline in the back door and go and have a look at the property yourself. And then you've seen it as well as done the building and pest. Um, and you could possibly turn up on the Thursday or Friday to the, you know, to the owner or to the agent's um, office and say, bang, there's my signed contract. We're ready to go. You don't even need to open it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Which, um, okay. Yeah, I, can, I mean, I can, I can definitely see the, the benefit to doing something like that and, and actually getting ahead of the curve because then you're, you're sort of, you're, you're removing a frenzied sort of condition. You're making it easy for the agent because whether the, whether the property sells for, I don't know, 700 or whether it sells for 680 or 690, 
I mean, the agent, that's, I don't know, maybe what, what are we talking, probably $100 commission for the agent. I mean, so it's not to say the agent, I mean, of course, they have to act in the best interest of their client. But um, if you're making it easy, I mean, is that kind of what you're, um, do you think that that's uh, sort of reasonable, Scott? Yeah, I think the whole, my whole um, philosophy with this is make the agent's job as easy as possible because you've got to grease yeah. their palm, grease their wheel to make these things happen. If you, if you, you know, you rub up against them the wrong way or you make it difficult for them, then they're going to look for an easy solution somewhere else with another buyer. So you've got to do that. You've got to be on good terms with them. You can't be a dick. And yeah, you make their job as easy as possible and streamline that process for them. And that's going to go a long way. And look, some agents, not all agents, there's heaps of good agents, but some agents are just going to sell it really fast because it's easy for them and they're not got the client's best interest at heart. Um, other agents may think that's the best they can get because they're inexperienced and they don't want to risk taking it to market. Um, mm. Some agents are so busy that they can't carry the stock that they've got um, and a quick sale is, suits them perfectly. And some agents know that their sellers want to sell fast. So it's in the seller's best interest that they wrap up a, a sale quickly. So you've just got to get yourself into that mindset of we want to get there early, we want to get there first, and we want to reduce the buyer competition as best we can at every turn. The negative feedback that I get from clients when I tell them to, um, or other agents or property professionals when I talk about doing a building and pest first is they'll be like, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, who's going to go and spend $400 or $450 on every property with no guarantee you're going to get it? Well, as far as I'm concerned, there shouldn't be 10 properties that you're looking at that are a standout buy. If you're seriously interested in building wealth through property, you shouldn't just be buying something that ticks a spreadsheet, three bed, two bath, 400 square meters of land. I don't think anyway. I think you should hit all those KPIs, but you also should buy it at the lowest possible price. So certain deals will stand out. You're not going to have 10 of those at any given time. There might be a couple of them at any given time that really work for you. And on those ones, it's a sunk cost. You know, it might cost $400 or $500, but if it's going to give you the best chance of, of um, owning that property in a steadily rising market, then it's a sunk cost and it's going to give you the best chance of doing it. Yeah, and if you can get a cheaper rate from the agent, your deal might be $500 less because uh, you can actually move fast, go unconditional and have the person building already complete, then you get your money back anyway. It yeah, matter. and if you use companies <laughs> out there that you can talk to, you know, someone might give you a better deal. If you say, look, this is my strategy, there may be a few of these that I do. If I do a second or a third one or a fourth one, can we reduce the rate over time? Because I'm just going to use you each time. And if you say that to a, a, you know, a supplier, then quite possibly they'll give you a better deal. Um, the other companies that I love working with in that space is Contracts, for example, in New South Wales. Um, Judith at Contracts is amazing. She's built this kind of really cool startup that works in that space. Um, they review contracts really quickly, like within the hour or so. They charge, I think, $79 or something along those lines to do a contract review. And if you go ahead with a property, I think they do like a fixed cost of, say, $750, $800 at the end. So really cost-effective for you to do the research really fast. Um, and just if you have to churn through them to get a result, it's great. You deal with another solicitor who might be charging you two grand or three grand to do the same thing. Each time there's a fight, they won't do it quickly. It takes some days to turn it around. So shop around. Find the right supplier. Find the right team yeah. and build around that they do exist there's some great people doing some really cool things and so a lot of yeah. a lot of contracts are pretty fairly somewhat stock standard anyway so there's not going to be a whole heap of conditions that they'll be able to spot it pretty quickly anyway yeah, yeah and what you want to do actually five or ten points that come up in every contract of course they vary in terms of there's you know Shades. to the nth degree but typically the bulk of it is the same thing every time you're dealing with 
you know, penalty yeah, interest, yeah. settlement dates, inclusions, exclusions, all these things. Um, so you, you can do a lot of that yourself, but then you're still going to be using a professional person. And a business like that, I think, will add a lot of value for people at a low cost. Yeah. One of the things that I that you should ask your conveyancer is, if I don't get this deal, like, do you charge me a review or do you just charge me the final fee? Like, um, so I have a my the conveyancer that we use in the business is uh, he'll review 100 contracts, even if they all don't go through. So he'll just I'll just send him a deal. This is what we're going to put an offer on. If we don't get it, then the, the client doesn't get charged. Um, and it's just, you know, three, four, five before you get the deal. That's absolutely fine. So always ask your conveyancer, do you charge me every single time? Because I've heard of conveyances that charge like, oh, if it's a review, it'll be $200 um, every yeah. single time, which is um, absurd, especially when you're paying them you know, two grand or whatever it is. There's a question in the um, comments box then. Would you still get a building inspection if the selling agent has already got one done on the property? Um, probably not. They're an independent third party that's been employed to do it. It's all in the name of the third party. Um, they're full of disclaimers anyway and, and uh, get out clauses for, for the building and pest company typically. Um, but if they've got one and, and it's independent, um, which it will be, then I would be comfortable relying on that um, to go forward. And if there's anything that comes up out of that report that gives you some headaches or heartaches, then I would dig into it with an external professional person. So if they talk about rising damp or movement, subsidence, whatever, you might want to go and seek some expert quotes on those repair works yourself in addition to it. Yeah, one of the biggest things that I find valuable for a pest in building is actually to get on the phone with them, have the conversation around it. Hey, you said that there's rising damp. What does this mean? How is this going to affect it? What do you think it's going to cost to fix it? Now, if the property, if the um, inspector is paid by the agent, <clears throat> you'll call up that inspector and they won't want to talk to you because you're not the vendor. So you've got to, you're not going to be able to have that conversation with them. So you'll be able to review it. You'll be able to go through the document, but you won't be able to have that conversation um, because they say, well, I've got 10 contract. I've got 10 people calling me about this contract. We just can't, we just can't do it. We can't go through yeah. it. But you might say in that situation, well, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Can you do it now? I want 15 minutes yeah, of time. Yeah. <laughs> so just think yeah. of how can you hack that situation? Money talks, right? Okay, cool. The nine other people weren't offering me any money, but you are, so I'll talk to you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's all about how much. Yeah. I mean, it's only going to take him five or 10 minutes. I mean, 100 bucks for him. Right. That's, that's a pretty good <laughs> hourly rate. I mean, that's, that's, yep. yeah. I'm, so I'm it's cheaper than a pest in building. <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah exactly. um, so before we get into this, I'm really excited about this data, uh, this real deep dive. I want to know what are some signs that you're sort of, um, you're, you're picking up that, that a market is starting to turn? Is it sort of, less sort of offers is it sort of yeah what are some of the signs because that's probably something that everybody's going to be looking out for are you Definitely seeing any less competition oh, sorry joe you go are you seeing anything turning down are you seeing any downturn anywhere uh, yeah, definitely in different parts of the country it's it's weakening mm -hmm. in certain areas and for certain asset types so you know there's you get the sense of that like you know, we were talking about before that there's possibly not another buyer or there might only be one or two other people rather than 10 that might have been there pre-Christmas. Um, but agents will tell me things, and I guess this is the beauty of being able to attack things um, from my perspective, which is almost agent to agent. They'll give me more information than they'll they'll give, you know, a, a buyer in that situation that's just in the public. So I'll ask lots of questions. And honestly, if it's if it's kind of a conversation away from doing a deal, like I might say to them, you know, that's great that we just landed that one or whatever, but tell me what else is happening in the marketplace right now. And they might tell me that at certain price points, it's softer or 
there's a lot of buyer interest or at auction there was this many buyers on Saturday. I just get a better yeah. sense of it. So in certain markets, it's changing a little bit. Um, one agent in Melbourne, as part of the agent selection that I do for my clients, we selected him as the leading agent that we wanted to, to use. We had four agents go through there. They, they priced it at different um, levels. He came in at a certain price point that was probably towards the low end anyway. But I've never had this happen to me before. He rang me about three or four weeks later and said, listen, um, I wouldn't be doing my job and I'd be doing you a disservice or your client to not be completely honest because that's how I do my business with all my clients. He was an absolute market leader in the suburb in, in Melbourne. He said the market's changed. It's changing. It's probably moved 5%, 10% in the last month, three weeks, a month since I pitched on the property. So I don't, I don't want to go in you know, and list this if you give it to me on the proviso that your expectations are up here because it has moved. That's a brave agent to do that because he's one of four. He knows this. If he, you know, a lot of sellers are just going to take the highest price or, you know, they're dreaming that they can get a big number. But he's such a good communicator. And the way that he did it was so professional that he just filled us with absolute confidence that he knew exactly what was happening in the marketplace. And he had the balls to ring us up and say, look, it's not as good as we thought it was going to be. And you need to readjust your expectations if you're going to sell. Um, so that was a really interesting insight and a re another you know, confirmation for me that good communicators and clear communicators win across life. Like if you can do those things and you can convey those messages really clearly, you're going to be a winner. These buyers that go into these negotiations, coy, shy, you know, or aggressive and try and control it like that, it's just not going to win. It's the ones that are really smart with their words, scripts and dialogues, mm. they're consistent. You know, it's that repetition when they're, they're dealing with agents as well. They turn up and they're nice people to deal with. That's going to go a long way. In the we've, lost, we've lost show. Where's he going? I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah. Um, mate, I'm excited about this new deal that you've you've had on. You've been uh, you've been a busy boy buying up beautiful plots of land. Is it Mermaid Beach or Mermaid Waters? Um, and knocking down houses, filling in swimming pools, clearing out the ground. Um, you've been doing you know adult version of like Tonka trucks. I, uh, I went up there and there's these big trucks there and it felt like, you know, I'm back at back in kindergarten. So um, give us a bit of a rundown. What give us, how did you find this? How did you find this deal? How did yeah, it work? It's fun, huh? It's fun. We, we, we um, Joey and I had a coffee when he was doing his little Gold Coast Sojourn a couple of weeks ago and walked around there. So it's mermaid waters, but it's walking distance from the sand. It's probably about 800 meters away from Nobby's beach. So um, great spot, great spot for us to live. Um, I guess if we dial that back to how I found it, uh, I do the same thing that I coach all my clients to do. So stay in regular contact with the local agents, um, really consistent with my follow-up. But as soon as I know that I've got the financial capability to get back in the, in the buying game, um, I'll reach out to them and I'll tell them exactly what I'm looking for. So I always start with an end game in sight. This is what I want to achieve. And there's a few variables of that. I wasn't necessarily looking for it, um, you know, a one into two or whatever it might have been. Um, but I was looking for a development site for around a certain price point in an exact area and I knew kind of what I wanted to do to that to, to add value. And the perfect scenario for me was to create a property where I bought um, a property that we could knock down and create our own family house as well as some other projects that we could, that we could develop and, and sell on. So, yeah, it was interesting. So I, I attacked this probably in July or so last year. And um, yeah, went about trying to engage with the agents that I knew would have these these property listings and try and find these things pre and off market and managed to find four in one week with different agents, which was which was fantastic. So in a booming market, wow. you found four in four in a week. I 
four of them in one week that I was negotiating on at the same time. Wow. Yeah. All off market and wow. all just me. Yeah. Did you did so, you get your uh, preferred one, or how did you know which one? Like, what happens if both said yes to the prize? Like, how, what would you have done then? Would well, you have because away? I'm not doing formal offers. I'm just like throwing numbers out there and being, okay. a bit, you know, uh, being, you know, I throw enough line to kind of engage them and to get a feel of where I'll need to be putting, to buy it. Putting the bait uh, so, in order. You know, I wasn't getting to that point of offering acceptance on all four. And what comes yeah. of it is when you play that numbers game and that field is things rise to the surface. You know, like. One yeah. deal just stands out or a couple of deals might stand out that were better than the others. So um, this one in particular was an interesting story. So I got offered the property, um, actually got sent this without uh, chasing it myself. So before I started looking, the agent that I bought it from uh, eventually, you know, a month or so later, sent me this randomly and said, hey, this, this is probably of interest to you. And this is why playing in the same sandpit ongoing is so good because you just you build rapport. That repetition creates opportunities ongoing you know, while those agents are um, prolific in their local area. So this agent rang me and said, okay, great. There's um, two properties side by side, both ready to be knocked down. They're unicorns. One's on 1,351 square metres. The other one's on 1,134 square metres. Um, you can have it combined for $4 million. It's like, okay, well, I don't have $4 million. I didn't have the ability to, to fund that by myself. I possibly should have gone out and found that in retrospect in terms of JVing with somebody else and put that deal together. I tried to JV with one of our best friends who were looking to build a house themselves locally um, who aren't in the property space. And I rang them and said, look, I'll build three houses on this site. I did the town planning on it for what I could get. Three houses on the site. Um, I'll keep one. I'll build you one and we'll split the profits of the third one and get out of that. He wasn't interested in doing that. It was just too hard basket for him. He was too busy at work and didn't want to take that on. So I said no to that deal. Um, did my research a bit for the next couple of weeks and then thought, actually, the one on the right, the bigger one, makes sense. I can create two lots out of that um, with Express DA uh, through Gold Coast Council and turn that into a winner for us. We can build our house at the back and flip the house at the front over time. So BA, BA in this instance is a building approval rather than a buyer's agent? Because yeah, just a... Say that again? I was just saying because I'm thinking a lot of people hear the word BA and they might think buyers agent, but BA in this context was build, building approval. Yeah, yeah. So I um I went through that and and anyway, so I got to that point where I had the the option of buying both of them, dismissed that, bought the one on the right hand side because I realised that um the one on the left could only ever be a single house site. It was 66 square meters too short to be subdivided into two lots. Ah. So um I said no to that. I offered $2 million, um, off market on the one on the right-hand side. They accepted that. Um, as part of the deal, I offered uh, a three-month settlement because I wanted as long as possible so I could design the houses and, and utilise that time. And I put a clause in that, that asked them that I could um, uh, lodge DA on their lot on their behalf uh, and I had their permission to do it and they'd signed the council forms for the subdivision, which they did and they did within like 48 hours of me exchanging contracts. And then I got Express DA with my town planner in seven days for a subdivision in Gold Coast. So before I settled, yeah, so within the three months, so between August to the first week of November, um, I got the subdivision through. And, of course, you've got to do all the subdivision works then, so I'm still finishing that at the moment. So that still takes kind of three months or so to complete that process. But the actual approval part of it was really easy and it was like a few thousand dollars. It was simple to do it. But just to give you an idea of the value that that added, I paid $2 million. We'll split it into two lots. And in November, the agents told me each of those lots as a knockdown block of dirt was $1.7 straight away. So there was a <laughs> $1.4 million. For the subdivision. Dollar. 
uplift in the between exchange and settlement just by getting a couple of grand DA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, so that with, was a, um, I got I got a question about lodging the DA and getting the the, the vendor to do it. I, I imagine there was you didn't have to sort of persuade them too much to to do it on their behalf. Or did you did you have to explain to them, or they were just like, yeah, it makes sense. We're all on board with it. Well, because I communicated that to the agent that that was the only reason I was buying it. I'm going to knock down this yeah. house and create two lots. Then yeah. there's no sort of hiding around that or talking around it softly. It was like if I'm going to buy this, it's reliant on me utilizing that three month period. So I'll yeah. offer you a fair price for it, but I just need your signature. It makes absolutely zero difference to you anyway. Like, and, what and are there's you actually, um, so there's actually there's actually a lot of value as well for the for the person for the vendor as well because if, if for whatever reason you can't go through the purchase, they then they then got a, a building approval on a site for they practically yeah, which then sort of as you said adds all that value. So I mean that's but the yeah, stupid thing is, for, yeah, the stupid thing is why did why weren't they thinking like that? Yeah, like, yeah. It, it was They're such a big on, on the value of it by doing yeah. such a simple thing. How do they miss that? You know, or the agents miss hope, that that they're not fighting. I hope they're not so you talked yeah. about that before you went under contract. So yeah, or after you went under contract? No, it was part because... of my offer. I'm, I'll offer two million dollars. I'll go unconditional, and this is the condition. It was a you know, ninety day settlement. And I want I did a five percent deposit, I think, from memory, and I want um, this signature on the form that I require. And yeah, they didn't care. They were like in their, I think that he was in his nineties, the guy that I was buying off and they yeah. built the house. I think they paid like something stupid, like 10 grand or 70 grand for the land. And you know, in the seventies and they were the first people to build there. So yeah, I mean, if you find the right seller and the right circumstances, then, you know, it doesn't bother them, but it's a massive value add for me. And it was a huge, you know, reduction of my risk as well. So you know, I knew that I was going to be able to get that through. I'd already had town planning advice, which I spent. Town planning advice is free. Like my town planner does all that stuff for me for free because then I employ him and pay him to follow through and do all the work mm -hmm. afterwards. So, you know, there really was zero cost to get it to a point where I knew I was going to have a big uplift, capital uplift. Yeah, that's unreal. Like 1.7 for just two plots of land as well. Um, so you could still do this though. You, you wouldn't have to necessarily knock down that front house you could actually just buy the house, rent it out, have have it looking after itself. Well, maybe not in this area, not in mermaid waters. It wouldn't be looking after itself. It would be cash flow negative. But then subdivide and then sell off, right? Let's say that negative cash flow is 10 grand a year. You just factor in that to your costs, buy it, subdivide it, sell off the back, sell off the front, or get a 30-day settlement or a 90-day settlement, sorry, a 90-day settlement or 120-day settlement and then get it all done like you've done and just offload it yeah so the highest and best use of the land is not to just sell it as two vacant lots it's a development no definitely not yeah so yeah you know, then you you start getting into territory because we can use it ourselves as our principal place of residence where you're not paying capital gains tax um, because you're going to use it as home long term so you know that's where it's smarter to hold on to it long term and but that's not going to apply to everybody that's going to do this as a as a professional do it um you know for for you know, economic benefit straight away. But yeah, you could have sold the land straight away. You could have kept the house with a rental income and marketed the vacant blocks of land and sold them with a clause in the contract that stated that the property would be demolished and the lots would be created before settlement. So you could be, you know, knocking the house down right at the end of a settlement period for your buyer of both blocks of land. So you could be deriving income. So there's so many ways to split it uh, in terms of how you could, or how to skin it, I should say, to 
make sure you were getting the best outcome. But for me personally, the best one was to develop both the houses. And then that, yeah. that opened up a whole heap of um, different doors. Like I was speaking to Meredith in your group about do we keep the front one as oh, a yeah. high-end Airbnb? You know, we're going to be right behind it rather than building a portfolio of $500,000 houses around the country that have got, you know, um, tenants that might not pay rent, properties that are in average condition. You're going to go buy six of those over your career and build an investment strategy. Why not just put it all in, in the front yard in, in um, Mermaid Waters, which we wholeheartedly believe is just going to keep ratcheting up in price because of supply and demand metrics, and it's an amazing place to live. Um, so that you know, there's an option to do that. Whether that's right or wrong, you know, it's just it's options, isn't it? And and you can work through all those things and decide what's the right fit and go from there. Yeah, that would be absolutely sensational. So what what are the once the houses are built, what what is it then worth like after it's all said and done? Like there's one point seven for the land. What about when it's all said and done? Yeah, so the agent's saying one point seven minimum um, for each block of land, so three point four million across the two of them. And that was in November and that market's just continued to bulldoze ahead. So I would imagine hopefully it's worth more than that, but we're not going to go down that path anyway. Um, and it's two freestanding houses on 600 square metres of land each, plus the driveway. Um, and each house, the front one's 415 square metres internally, and the second one will be that sort of size as well. So they're big luxury homes. Nice. So I'm going to build on that to, to maximise the, the price. I've seen two agents and had two different market appraisals on the plans. Um, two agents that I've done business with before that I'm really familiar. One of them is the one that I bought it from. Um, and he said to me, look, in this market, again, this was in November, um, in this market, it's probably around 3.7 for the finished product for the front house. Um, the other agent I spoke to said it's 3.8 to 4.2. If it was standing today, it's 4.2. Um, it's probably less than that if you're trying to sell it off the plan. Um, but my goal really is to, you know, to hold on to it rather than selling it prior and hold on to it for as long as I can, build them, and then be able to yeah. sell a finished product in what I think is going to be a rising market in my area. For, for the next you know six months twelve months, so I think that's going to so be when a, you, a big difference. When you hundred percent, yeah, it's the perfect time for it as long as the building cost isn't too crazy expensive. Well, that that is crazy. Streaming. That's the one thing that's completely blown out. But the only thing that saves that is that the market's gone mental. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. kind of covers it. Um, so with with this is going to be you know seventeen. Mermaid Street, Mermaid Waters, uh, and then the next one's going to be 17A or whatever the number is. Is it going to be like two separate complete lots, two completely different, you can sell off the titles, or is it going to be? Uh, well, it's completely two separate lots. So um, people yeah, can look yeah, it up. It's, home and look at it. it's, it's the property that I bought was eight anchor court in Mermaid Waters, and it's going to be eight and 8A, I assume. So it makes yeah. sense. We'll keep 8A, 8 agate. <laughs> 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 so if anybody, um, if anybody wants to go on a beer with scott they know where to go but yeah sorry i shouldn't well i mean come yeah. say hi because yeah lots of, <laughs> nice, lots of nice people in this group yeah, yeah. i won't yeah, be there exactly. for a while though so if you turn up now you bring a shovel or a truck or something to, come in yeah, there bring, bring, bring in trucks. um what, 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 bring what, what i was going to say i want to i want to dollar back to the negotiation sort of piece or, or even just i suppose uh, the, before you bought it what, what was the toughest part about about actually buying the buying this property um probably finance as a self-employed oh, yeah. solo business owner is always yeah. the hardest thing for me um, yep. So you get, you know, thrown over the grills for that. Um, often, you know, I have to pay higher interest rates or whatever it is. Um, 
So that's probably a big problem for me. It's all my own bad doing though. Like, you know, we've discussed before that I've got the ski lodge hotels in Japan all paid for in cash over there. None of the banks or lenders look at that as an asset. Um, So it's a liability really. Like there's no income coming from it and it's just, you know, seven figures parked in overseas in cash. So that doesn't help me in terms of my borrowing capacity here. Um, And that's probably the reason that stopped me from, you know, buying it at four million and and doing much better out of this project again. So that's my own shortcoming. Um, But hopefully Japan does well for us down the years and it'll be all worthwhile. But finance... The game of finance, as everyone says in your group, is, is the game that you're playing when you're property investing. Um, so I think that's the hard one for me as well. So that will change over time, as it always does. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, Joe. Well, I'm interested about the, the whole DA process for, for this council. It sounds like they're very pro-development application and they're allowing everyone to subdivide if you, if you want to. Like, is, is that the case or was it not as breezy and easy as they made out? Uh, well, obviously, the properties that I was looking for were in areas that I knew either had medium density zoning or had minim- complied with the minimum lot size. So the minimum lot size for Express DA is 600 square metres per lot. And this was yeah. 1351 square metres. So it's 600, 600 plus the driveway. So, yeah, I mean, it met it. And it was it was reasonably easy, so it complies for it. So there's no real risk in 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 going for it. So yeah, it's, it's very favourable um, on the Gold Coast to develop, um, probably in, in Brisbane and the Sunshine Coast as well to a certain degree. So um, yeah, I guess you've got to understand where you're playing, which sandpit, and and what the rules are to make sure you don't buy properties that are going to give you grief or be hard. I know having done multiple DAs in Sydney on on terrace houses and things in oh, Surrey Hills and Paddington. Elizabeth Bay, the DA process there was punishing, it was really expensive, really long-winded. Um, yeah. And, you know, especially in Paddington, like you're dealing with the Paddington Society who don't want any progress or anything modern. Um, so you just buy your heritage. Your heritage maybe as well. Is that- yeah, all the heritage overlays and things. So, I mean, the Gold Coast, all these areas were, you know, old swampland made good in the 70s. <laughs> so they're, they're <laughs> pro-development. A lot of the houses... Um, you know, around it are tired and old and you can, you know, you can develop there and, and uh, you know, really uplift the street value. And the, the actual house next door to ours that I was looking at buying got bought at the same time or just after. I've made friends with that owner, the agent introduced us. Um, we knocked them down together at the same time for economies of scale. And we're going to hopefully build all three houses at the same time with possibly the same builder as well, again, for economies of scale. So, you know, there's only eight or nine houses in the street. We've just dramatically, you know, we're going to put three brand new luxury houses in that street and up goes all the prices in Mermaid Waters for, you know, when one of those trades. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's heaps of opportunity on the Gold Coast. It's a really positive market to play in. So do you see this now, like when you're walking down the street in the Gold Coast, do you just see, oh, look, there's another one. I could do this exact same thing right there. Oh, there's another one. It's like when you buy a new car and then you start to see that car everywhere. <laughs> Is it the yep. same kind of thing? It's exactly that. And uh, I still get <laughs> sort of blown away sometimes as to why people will pay such a premium for a finished product when next door is a dump or there's 10 dumps in the street on all the canal fronting, you know, around Broad Beach and Mermaid Mermaid Waters. There is so much opportunity still. Um, But people will pay a premium for a finished product because a lot of people just don't want to renovate and a lot of people have got the money to pay it. So it's like turnkey, easy and done. But it makes it surprises me because that doesn't exist in Sydney and Melbourne to a certain degree, and I'm sure in other other capital cities. 
Um, in mm. Sydney, people were paying just as much for an unrenovated property as they were for nearly a renovated property. Uh, just, just for the opportunity to put your own touch on it and pay slightly less than someone else's finished product, they'd pay huge money for that opportunity. So, yeah, it's a breath of fresh air, you know, playing in this space. So when you're, how do you, because I, I feel like you're a domain and real estate.com.au champion. What kind of things do you search for to be able to identify to get like the alerts and the pings and stuff like that? Do you have like any kind of special tricks on that front? Um, I well, I know what I want to develop. So I like doing yep. one-off waterfront houses if I can, um, north to water. So I'm constantly looking for those products, both at the unrenovated level and at the fully renovated level. So I want to know what they're achieving at the top comparison. end, if you renovate or build. Yeah, the comparison. So I'm constantly watching for that. I don't actually pay any attention to the apartment market up here. Um, so, you know, I do when a client asks me to deep dive and do some research, but I'm not personally watching that. So it's really your own niche, right? Like I, that's the sweet spot for me. I'm ninja level on realestate.com. I look at every, you know, I've got my alerts, every single property. I probably, I don't know, maybe I log in six times a day, but that's probably just out of habit. Um, an ADD that I'm just in there looking all the time. But then I'm watching every, I'm tracking heaps of sales as well. So I'm seeing what people are, are paying for things in real time. And I don't really go to any more open for inspections or I don't trawl through too much property. Um, but I'll drive past and see houses that, I, that I've, um, you know, followed on real estate just to see where it is, what it looks like, you know, street presence and all the rest of it if it's something that's of serious interest. But when, I, when I'm back out and I've got finance, I go into overdrive and I'll go into open for inspections. I'll drive past lots more property and just the eyes are wide open, you know, tractor beam, looking at everything, taking in as many data points as possible. And just, I want to, I've said this before to you guys, I want to know if we're in the same marketplace doing the same thing, I want to know more than you. Mm, I want to know yeah. more than you, I want to know more than any other buyer because that's going to benefit me. I'm going to buy it better than you. I'm going to buy it sooner than you do. Um, so that's just the attitude. It's just like this, that winning mentality, I guess, of like this is, you know, you're talking about huge numbers. I want to build wealth. I'm going to go to those. I'm going to hack it. I'm going to do whatever I can to get there first and, and you know, find those opportunities and unearth those. When are, you, um, when are you writing a book, man? Yeah, I don't know. Soon, maybe. <laughs> Just, it sounds like it's already half typed up. Would anyone buy it? <laughs> I'd oh, take a copy. Or you'd take a free copy. <laughs> Hopefully it's better than Ellen. Uh, Ellen, confidence. Ellen with Toddy, uh, Toddy Sloan's cover. That's a, mm -hmm. a cracker, wasn't it? Well, Fantastic book. I'll send, you a, I'll send you a personalized note like Toddy did with this one for me. <laughs> Fantastic book. Go get it. So... Um, what are some of the challenges that you came across with this deal? Because that's, it's always cool to talk about the good stuff. What were the, the biggest challenges that you, I know you're making it sound bloody easy. Uh, look, the, the, the challenge is second guessing yourself, right? And the second guessing part comes in because, well, what other opportunities are there that exist in the marketplace? Have I dug deep enough and, and found the right opportunity? It's a hell of a lot of money to spend. And then how am I going to fund this? You know, like, how am I going to, come up with what I thought was a million dollars per build, which is probably more like $1.4 million per build in, in you know, retrospect now. So there's another 800 grand that I've got to fund somehow and at some cost. So they're the things that I think about and probably not lose sleep over, but definitely spend a lot of time um, nutting out. And the big one is always, well, you're buying it. All I've done is waterfronts up here on the Gold Coast. This, I think, is the seventh property we've done in five and a half years. This is the first dry block, first non-waterfront. Um, there's no record price that 
I can hang my hat on in the suburb of Mermaid Waters. So I hate being the one that has to set a street record or a suburb record. All yeah, the risk yeah. is on you. There's no data that points yeah. to that. I don't like that. I'd rather there be a comparable fail that everyone knows that, you know, if you renovate, you should be able to get to this level. So I'm having to rely on data that's spread out further, like sales in Burley, Palm Beach, Miami, those types yeah. of things. To kind of put it together a list of comparables that gives me the confidence of doing it. So there's, it's not without risk. That's that's the risky part of like, great, well, you can spend, you know, let's call it one and a quarter million, sorry, 1.15 per lot that it costs me to get them to a vacant block of land ready to build on. Um, and then you add another 1.4 million, say 1.5. You're in for 2.6-ish. Um, you want to make a margin on that. Where are the sales? Like the, I think the record sale was 1.896. And the agents are telling me that it's going to be four mil. Like, no, no yeah, one's built anything like this. It's, so, it's a little kind of comfort. There's a little bit of a gap there, but but I suppose you sort yeah. of, you, you must gain some comfort that, what was that 1.8 sale or 1.89? Was that sort of not near the quality that you're going to be building? Or Yeah, it was a renovation of a house that was on the almost on the corner of the same street. Um, much smaller, older ha- home, not in the cul-de-sac that we were in. Um, so yeah, a lot of things you could look at and go, well, hang on, that's a weaker product to start with. So if that's going for one nine ish, this has got to go for two and a half, you know, mm-hmm. can you get two, eight, two, nine. And at that point I was aiming for, I thought two and three quarters, but 2.75 and a million dollar build. So I'd be in for 2.15, um, you know, or thereabouts. I thought, okay, there's a good margin in this. That's what I ran all my numbers on. Um, but then the market just went ballistic. So you know, I, I probably bought it under market. Well, I did buy it under market value, clearly. Um, so buying it under market value plus, the, I think Mermaid Waters went up 46% last year. So building prices went up, but the house prices just went ballistic. So, you know, 46%. all of a sudden that one nine most recent sale, if anyone went to market with a modern house, they're going to smash two and a half million now. Um, so yeah, and by the time these things are built... Yeah, so less and less risk in, on that front in terms of where the comparable sales are. But still, you're chasing this record price and, um, you know, that's rare air. There might be one, two buyers at that price point that are interested in this um, rather than that safety net of developing and, and selling it two and a half million where there might be 15 buyers, you know, at any given time that are in the marketplace. So it's just, they're the risks and, and I guess they're the things that I think about that um, I spend a lot of time going over and over and over. But you've essentially built your a free house right like (laughs) hope so that's yeah that's what you've done you've just turned something you've you've bought a piece of land and then you've developed it you put a house on you sold that house and now you've just got a free house that's what (laughs) isn't that crazy is that crazy to think you've just created your dream home um out of thin air out of just knowing the location knowing the place knowing the block knowing the rules and creating it out of nothing i mean obviously it's not nothing the be- the best thing for me is if I can turn five hundred thousand dollars cash that I put into it into a three mil clear profit in eighteen months. So if I can do that, that's the goal. Um, if all the ducks line up, maybe they don't. Maybe I end up being in a much lower position. But I'm I'm aiming for the stars. You move in with know. me. Yeah, well, you're <laughs> for the stars, you might land on the. Moon. I don't know, Joe. Is there enough space? I've I got some space down in the south coast. You can. There's, yeah, there's, there's plenty probably of more. good. Good, good surf. Jeff has more space. <laughs> okay, well, let's That's jump into old. our uh, let's jump into our uh, our second sponsor, and then we can cover off more into this data deep dive because there's some questions around understanding the subdivision process as well, which I think would actually be awesome to go through too. Let's do that. Yep. Let's do it for Polizzi. 
Commercial property offers the highest cash flow in Australian property investing, offering exceptionally higher yields than residential. Now we're talking eight to 10% net yields. That's cash after all expenses, not this two to 6% gross that we see in the residential space. So for those that are starting out on their commercial investing journey, it can be exciting, but it's also a step not to be taken lightly. The expertise of a commercial buyer's agent can pay dividends to help you secure that high cash flow and high growth potential property. And this is why we recommend Steve Polisi of Polisi Property. With over six years experience in the space, Steve has over 1,200 property transactions under his belt. He has seen it all and knows the best locations right for growth. In a previous life, Steve was a chartered mechanical and structural engineer. So he draws on mathematical and analytical skills that he's developed to break down what works best in commercial property. As with engineering, same goes with commercial property. It's based primarily on the numbers. So if you're curious about diversifying into commercial property, you have access to $100,000 in cash or in equity, book a call with Steve today and find that perfect asset for you. There you go. So pe- people are people are keen on the um, people are keen on subdivision and even keen on on you writing a book as well. Uh, Lisa, Lisa's yeah, nice. saying, Lisa's saying, I would uh, I, I would hope we are sent one of your book. So Lisa, Lisa wants a book. All right, Lisa. I feel like real estate agents wouldn't allow your book to come out. <laughs> I feel like it'd be damaging to the to, industry. I was talking to Todd Stone about this earlier that you know don't want to completely unearth all the secrets like that and um, just be that guy who goes around, uh, you know, shitting on the industry. But there's certain things that I think you can get under the hood and there's certain little tricks and techniques that will add a lot of value to people and help them do that without, um, you know, being too negative on the industry. So there's lots and lots of good agents. Um, There's lots of really average agents. So there's, you know, where that happens, there's opportunity for sure. But in terms of the... Oh, sorry, you go. And actually, this is off topic and different. Um, but I was wondering that when there's two agents on the uh, on the listing, do you call the most senior agent or do you call the the young gun, the new spunk uh, on on the listing to get information? Uh, depends. Depends. Sometimes um, I'll try the second agent and see where I get to. But more often than not, they can't give you any information that's even worthy of me progressing the deal any further. So it's almost a waste of time. You just have yeah, to deal right. with the, the um, main agent or they, they get them to ring you back. So I don't know that you'd build a strategy around approaching them in particular, like a second agent. Yeah, sometimes you make the, it a bit of a free kick, but not often. Yeah, yeah. they're usually okay. somewhat the order the order taker and they sort of will then go back to the, the main agent and sort of give them that, feed them that information from what I understand. Yeah, yeah the well, problem is the, the main agent's typically dealing with the contract holders. So the second agent will say, oh, look, I'm not sure what's going on. You know, Christine's dealing with all those main players. I'm just kind of doing all the nuts and bolts of the deal. Double so, conversations. Yeah, and then I'll get Christine to call you or whatever it might be and you end up not progressing yeah. at the place of the phone call. Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, the reason was someone said, um, can you, uh, you know, you get the information out of that person if there's any kind of juicy goss that you need. Uh, yep. because they're they're easier to deal with and they know like the yeah but um, cool okay not so yep. much you just go straight to the point get to the point with the lead agent and go from there um, yep it's a good question though Joe I like it yeah, so let's so we, 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 we're going to dive into the ABCs I love some, love me some ABCs of subdividing what, what are your sort of oh, what God. are your yeah your, your high level kind of insights on on how to do it or what's your 
outsource well, it? Well, I mean, can I be really honest? Like, it, I'm I'm terrible at all these things um, in terms of the subdivision stuff and understanding all the council issues. This will firmly be filed under life hack for me, which is hire someone who is smarter than me to do it at the lowest possible cost and just get it done efficiently that way. That's not going to appeal to everyone. It certainly doesn't answer your question. So I've got a, a reasonable understanding of the timeline of events that needs to happen and the work that needs to transpire to get it um, subdivided. But I reckon you're better off, honestly, finding someone that's, you know, a Rob Flux or someone that does this for a living that can really deep dive into the pitfalls of subdivision and the ways to do it better and faster. Um, for me, I hired... Um, the local town planner who I'd done work with previously, he was the one that gave me the free advice up front that there'd be no problems getting the subdivision through. When I settled on the property, um, actually during exchange and settlement, I employed Chris, the um, town planner, who's fantastic to do the work for me. So he coordinated everything for me. As part of that, he got three written quotes from each supplier. So I knew he was you know, fighting for the lowest dollar for us on, on everything. But the beauty of using him is, I, it, there's so much time taking. Like, can you imagine getting three quotes from a plumber, an electrician, an NBN person, or whatever it might be, and having to coordinate yeah. all that? Chris knows all those people already. He knows who to go to first in terms of who the reliable people are that do these jobs and who's the most cost effective because he does it all day. So he got those things and just really streamlined the whole process. And he charged me, like, I thought a very small amount of money, like $3,000 maybe to handle the whole thing start to finish. Um, so for me, I outsource it. That's a life hack for me. And, and um, I think that's that's a smarter way to go about it if it's not your core business. If this was me developing all day, then sure, you'd cut those corners and, and well, not cut those corners, but you'd cut those costs and do them you, those tasks yourself. But I'm busy building another business with Hello House and uh, my time is better spent there than it is um, chasing tradies around a, a, you know, a paddock to get quotes out of them. Sorry, I'll I didn't ask, give you the ABCs no, 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 or subdivision. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask a question in, in a, probably a different way um, because I think this is probably, if you're not going to understand all the details yourself, which, um, yeah, sort of a lot of people don't, how did, how did you sort of know that, that Chris or the, that the town planner was actually the person to go, go, to go with? The architect. So, you know, I speak to my architects often yep. and this is the third or fourth property that we've done with him and, um, again, just who's your team? Who do you use? Who do you recommend? And straight away, he's like, just use Chris. Just speak to Chris straight away. So yep. you lean on all these people. They've all got their teams, right? They've, they've gone through this process. They do this all day. They know the yeah. most efficient way from A to B and the most cost-effective way of doing it without mistakes. Um, so I know, like, and trust the architect. Um, he's put me onto his builder. I've got my own builder as well. But just the contacts there are so good. Um so if you rely on those people and you know they're going to get the job done, then that's a really efficient way to, to move through the process. Yeah. That's yeah. And with the with the block, was it like a perfect square? Was it a little like angly? Like is there a, a thing where you looked at it and were like, oh, no, this, is, this might not work? Or was it, I don't know, what did it kind of look like? Where, at what point do you say, oh, actually, no, I'm not going to do that? Yeah, well, the block was irregular. So it starts off narrow to basically at a driveway width at the end of the cul-de-stack and then fans out massively. And it doesn't just fan out evenly. It kind of goes off at all these tangents. Um, great block yeah, of land right. and, a, and a real unicorn for mermaid waters in that location, but um, not the easiest one to kind of envisage how you design your house on there. The beauty of it was, though, the whole side of it opens to the north. So 
two houses ah, can you know, go north or northeast, which is what everyone wants up here. Um, and then they were just kind of the ultimate, um, you know, location and aspect, which was good. Uh, you know, it was full of, it still is a full of, full of asbestos um, community, you know, communal fences with all my neighbors. And unfortunately I've got like seven neighbors that I've got to replace the fences with and have those conversations. <laughs> like you saw that Joe, when you were there, um, which is yeah. fine. It's just a sunk cost of doing business and doing this. All of these things could put you off if you're, if you're a potential buyer, but really they're seven nothing great. Yeah, they're nothing in the grand scheme of things. And, and how, how we'll build is you'll build out the neighbours, right? Like all of them are on the southern side of us, all of them bar one, basically. So we'll just build a house that faces north, which is what we're always going to do. And they're all just going to be looking into the back of our house and we're all going to be looking out the other way. So it's not really a big issue for us, but just because it's a cul-de-sac and there's another street that runs behind it, there was quite a few neighbours. So, that, yeah, that's not ideal. But, you know, once you build the house custom built to that block of land no one's going to know any different no buyer is going to make any you know i don't think any judgment call around that that's going to be negative on the no, no. price yeah price. it was more around like the development side of things because some people um see a development and it's like seven fences it's a bit scary and then like no no i'm not gonna it, i don't think i can do it, get it done but instead you went up and called an expert and said hey i found this block do you reckon we could subdivide it and split it up yeah it's actually going going for that next step and not, you know, upset, like not just going in with stupid questions, but actually finding, you know, rather than going to 10 deals to this Chris guy and saying, oh, what about this one? What about this one? What about this one? You do most of the due diligence and only show him two or three, and then he's willing to talk to you because you've actually done some work on it rather than just throwing in. Correct. Here's the listing. Can we get a development? No. Yeah. So I, because I've got a relationship with him now, I'll just text message him a property and say, what can I get on this site? And he'll write back like an hour later. Yep, you'll get four on here. It'll be this many square meters. You've got a height limit of this, um, and the highest and best use is four townhouses, or whatever, it, or whatever it might be. Or no, this won't work. All you're going to get out of is two houses. That it, it, it won't work in the fiso. So he'll, he'll, and that's free, right? He just does that on the run because when you do engage him, he'll, you know, he'll charge you at that point on whichever property that you, you proceed on. But I guess. Going one little tricky thing that came out of, or one opportunity that came out of buying that land shape was that I got 600 square meters at the back for our family house and the neighbor bought 1134 square meters that could never be developed into anything more than a single house. Now, everything in that location is basically 600 square meters. It's all around us. So 1134 is just massive. It's like a country, you know, paddock in mermaid waters. And most people just aren't used to having that much land. So I said to him, well, I'd, I'd love to have more than 600. You've got nearly double that can I carve off 133 square metres? And Chris had drawn me a line on a floor plan, like on an um, aerial shot of kind of squaring off my land, which gained me an extra 133 square metres. And we did it in such a way that it wouldn't really impact on the design of his house next door. Um, and that took, wow. that was probably the biggest mistake I made in retrospect. And it's no one's fault, um, but we designed the front house within between exchange and settlement but then I've been waiting for his property to settle, then his architect to start the design. That took three months. He wasn't ready to give me an answer on how much land he could give me until his place was designed. So I've lost like four months on the back house waiting for the land. Now, as it turns out, he gave me 90 square metres, which was great. And he's him and I are really good like mates and stuff. So it was all very above board and polite. 
but the 90 square meters is so awkward, the space that he ended up trying to carve off for us, that it just didn't work for us. So we said no. So after all of that, I ended up with nothing. You know what I mean? I, so you could have you could have just could have just gone ahead anyway and save yourself. I could have so just months. gone ahead with the 600 square meter yeah. lot at the back and done it. But I thought I'd end up with 730 odd, and it would just square off my block, make it a better place for yeah. my family to live. And it was worth paying him. I think I offered him the equivalent of the square meter rate that he paid for the land. So I offered him 185 grand or whatever it was for the for the land. And I said all of that up front. So, that, so I got it all out of the way before we even wasted any time. Like I'm interested in this much land. This is exactly the land that I want, like the shape of it. And this is exactly what I'll pay you. Are you interested? And he's like, yep, we do, we'll do that if, if the plan works for us in terms of the house. And just as I say, that the house plan didn't, didn't quite work out. And the reason is he ended up designing a massive single level house rather than everyone else doing a two story house. So if it was two story, you would have had the space to carve off. But because he did this huge single level property, it just didn't work. It's interesting. For them. So, yeah, yeah it's a, single, a single story in mermaid waters. That's um, a bit unique, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think anyone, if you, I've lived in both, um, I don't know if you guys have, but. Um, as a family, it's much nicer to be in a single level house. I personally think, rather than uh, having to go up and down stairs with kids, um, so yeah. there's no views or anything there to sort of um, to take advantage of. So I think they just really wanted to have this beautiful big estate that was over a single level, which is yeah. lovely. And in, and in massive retrospect, land. yeah, and in retrospect, we won't be looking into the back of their two story building. We'll be looking over the top of their single level building. So that's probably a better outcome for us in yeah. that regard. But my, I just put it to the architect and said, is it worth me taking these 90 square metres and paying the equivalent square metre rate of whatever that would have cost? And he said, look, um, well, he's, in his words, he's, that's a really expensive pool. So no. <laughs> right? All you're going to put there in that space is a pool. So um, yeah. it's not worth it. We can still fit everything you want and the pool on the existing Have a nice backyard. land without sacrificing. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I, I, I love the level of detail you've actually gone to here. I mean, this this is uh, this is exactly what what I was keen to sort of hear un unpack the the deal deep dive because um, yeah, I think that's there's there's heaps of value for for the people anybody and regardless of whether it's you know a two two million dollar three million dollar property or whether it's a sort of five or six hundred k, I think it's the the level of detail that you've gone to to understand how it works and how it fits in your investment strategy as well. So yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad it worked for everybody. I know there's a couple of other questions out. I don't know if you want to answer those. There was one on... Um, Let's definitely do have it. I, yeah. Have I found any deals where agents will allow tradies or owners to start working on the property prior to settlement? Um, if I was an agent, I would say to you no in that situation. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that no, no solicitor or conveyancer is going to be keen for you to do that because you're going to damage the property if you don't settle... Or you're, you know, it's the same reason why conveyances aren't that keen on um, access under license, where you go in and you rent the property off the um, old owner until you settle on the property. For whatever reason, if it doesn't settle, you're stuck with the sitting tenant. Um, so yeah, that's probably unlikely that that's going to happen. It didn't happen much when I was an agent either. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else there that I missed? Throw them up, Jeff. Yeah, I'm just having a look now. There were well, three couple... questions in, people. If you've got any questions about development, we've got a we've got a good time for it to come up now, or um, even 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 negotiation as well. Like we've we've got um we've got a master on the on the call at the moment. So if if you Scott, um... actually yeah, a question a question on negotiation is um how do you ex how do you you know put a little bit of time pressure on your offer with an agent? Um, now I know we talk about we've talked about having another property on the go. So you say, oh, I've, I've currently got another uh, property. 
do you have any other strategies um or do you want to deep dive into that one yeah i mean there's not a huge amount in terms of the time pressure part of it um I, again, the communication for, for me, I, I will plant that seed typically that I'm looking at other properties. And honestly, I'll say it to my clients as well. That's not a joke. Like you shouldn't always just fake the fact that there's another property that you're going to use as leverage. Find another property because you don't just want to be chasing one. Like what other options have you got in the marketplace? And that's how I ended up with four. So I genuinely had that. And I was just workshopping with the clients and saying, look, I mean, with the agents, like I've got one on Barton Ave, I've got one on, you know, Macau Ave, I've got one here in Anchor. Um, I can't even remember where the fourth one was at the time, but, um, you know, what would you do? What's the highest and best use of those properties? What would you do? And they'll say, actually, you know, that one on Macau looks good if you can do this and blah, blah, blah. And I reckon it's worth X at the back end. And I just communicate really clearly with them. Um, but it's also planting the seed with them that I've got options. So they're going to go yeah. back to their owner when I put the offer forward and say, well, you know, he's obviously looking at, at multiple other properties. He's even workshopped the exact properties with me. Um, you know, his offer is genuine, he's at that level, but he's he's not emotional, he's not going to pay any more for it. So, um, you know, and, and he's not going to be around for long either because he's going to make a decision he wants to pull the trigger on something. So leverage kind of- does work if it's used correctly like that. Um, I think that's probably the best way of doing it, to be honest truth. I don't know that I've got a huge swag of other tricks that I would use in, in that situation. Um, and what are some of the other questions? Pay the experts what they're worth? Absolutely. Uh Town planner before buying, yeah, always. There's no point seeing a town planner after you've bought it. Um, <laughs> who is who is Chris? Um, Chris is Chris Selton at Ultimate Planning. Um, and I think he's at Nobby's Beach or around there anyway. But yeah, reach out to me if you need his details. But Chris Selton at Ultimate Planning. There was there was one here that I thought was interesting. And I think it was when we were talking about the negotiation sort of thing. And it said, would it still be possible to reduce the process to, you describe if you're buying interstate and not able to physically view the property? I think absolutely. But interested to hear your, your thoughts, Scott. Is that in reference <laughs> to the um, uh, building and pest report and doing those things prior to, to making the physically offer? Physically seeing it. Yeah. No, yeah, prior to physically seeing it. So if you're interstate. Yeah, if that's referencing that, I mean, I, I'm so scared of, okay, they've just written yes, I think. Um, I'm so scared of buying sight unseen. Like I've just got, and, and it's, I've just seen so many bad things happen. Like agents um, are only going to take the best photos they possibly can and market the property mm-hmm. in its absolute best possible light. So if you're going to trawl through what's on the market for sale and trawl through recent sales you're not getting the full picture you're never ever going to get the full picture looking online so if you think you've done the research you haven't nothing's going to replace boots on ground and if your buyer's agent's not doing that get rid of your buyer's agent as well because they're not going to have a clue what's going on in the marketplace so i think it's really important that you do those things i'm scared of people buying interstate without seeing it and you're talking about massive life-changing numbers um and i've seen like quite a lot of clients have come back to me from um, purchases through certain buyer's agents in 2012 around that age keeps coming up around that year um and they're in negative equity now in 2022 and they're trying to offload dud investments that they bought sight unseen that they were guided into by bad buyers agents advice back then so be careful who you take advice from and i think if you can negate that risk and just make the effort to go and look um i know not everyone can but if you can't do it then hire a professional and if you can't do that I'd really second guess about spending 500 grand, 750 grand that you have, you know, you're just punting into the ether and taking a huge risk. Yeah. There's also ways to mitigate the risk as well. So for instance, a great example is I put an offer on a property that I didn't see. Um, I had it set up 
uh, last Friday, uh, no, not last Friday, early on in the week, they said, hey, do you want this property? I'm like, yep, number stuck up. This is what our offer is based on what we see online at the moment. And this was 2018 photos. So I'm like, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be different. But um, I put forward my offer with a uh, five-day inspection clause on there. So I'd be able to pull out to get the inspection. I'm like, I'm not there right now. I'll be there in a couple of, I'll be there in a couple of days. So I'll come over and see it and, um, or I'll get an inspector to do it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we went through the property, saw all the, saw all the damage and then crashed the contract and said, no, we're not going to do it anymore because it's not as we expected it to be. However, yeah. if I didn't do that, they would have taken it to market. Let's say it was a good investment that we wanted to. They said, oh, okay, here's a contract. It's signed. It's sealed. It's delivered. Let's just go with that. We don't need to go to market. But I took yeah. it off the market before it even hit it um, and took the risk. But there was no risk because I had that inspection clause in there. So you can create your own clauses and things like that in contracts. So I said, I need an inspection clause. They're like, what's that? I'm like, I need to see it. Five days. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's a good good um, case study of that. Um, I withdrew out of a, a purchase or my client did about two weeks ago in southeast Queensland. We negotiated on a property and I agreed terms at 611000 and they got a building and pest report second. This was their, their doing, not mine. I, as I said, I would always advise they do it up front, but they didn't um, for whatever reason. Agreed it at 611. The building and pest came back horrible. We pulled out straight away. The agent put it straight back on the market on the Friday, sold it again on the Saturday for 620000 to someone else. So, so you know. <laughs> no pest and building. Yeah, either. you talk about buying from interstate or not doing a building pest or not reading the building pest and the rest of it or not negotiating well. That cost them nine grand and they've bought a dud property. So, um, yeah. the agents are only going to tell you the best things about it and show you the best photos, but that's the risk that you run. So, um, someone said to me there, I'm a bit harsh. Well, yeah, look. Hopefully, if you've listened to me talk before or spoken in this group, I'm only talking my absolute truth. So if that's a bit harsh, I apologize, but um, you're only going to get complete transparency out of me and I'll be honest with these things. That's just my own personal experience, my own personal view of how to do these things for right or wrong. Yeah, somebody said best, fight, best fight, fight, tip, but also, <laughs> also get your buyer's angel respect this. Because substation transformers and phone towers can make a good investment less less desirable. Yeah, of course. Totally. Or a, or a, yes. Or a Absolutely. Some, we had, someone, um, in the group, we, someone in the group today to that point said, well, you could just hire like a BA or someone, I think, to go and inspect it on your behalf. You absolutely can. I've had clients do that before. They've paid a BA to go and look at the property and tell them that it was okay or not okay or how much work they wanted to spend. The issue with that, it's fine if you want to pay someone to go and do 400 bucks or whatever for an hour to look at it. But what have they seen else in the marketplace that competes against it to give you that feedback? They can tell you about that specific property, but it doesn't mean that you've seen the rest of the market. So if you're not got boots on ground or you're paying someone to do it, then you, you, you're not in touch with what's happening. So it's full of yeah, danger. Absolutely. That's the biggest thing I'm starting to kind of like with what I do is you have to be on the ground, like exactly like here, because the substation transformer phone towers, like there was a fantastic property that was listed, amazing price. It was just crazy. And then um, a client actually sent it to me after I had a look at it already. And they were like, oh, this one, um, uh, this here, I, I want to buy this. And I'm like, no, you don't. Right behind that for camera is a massive, you know, tower of, of power lines. But if you don't know that, if you don't get boots on the ground, you don't inspect it. Is the inspector going to turn around to those to those lines? So yeah, you need to yeah. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a real time example that happens all the time up here on the Gold Coast, right? On the canal front. So when you when you've been here for a little while and you've done your research, you realize that there's good water and bad water, good canals and bad canals or average canals, right? But if you're looking online and you said, okay, I want a X house and X price range, okay, X part of the, of the location, it's got to be waterfront, it's got to be north to water, whatever your parameters are, your KPIs, you would just go tick, 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 tick. But when you actually are here and you realize that any local would think that waterway is weak because it's too narrow, it's too short, it's got no natural water flow through it, whatever the reasons are, there's tons of reasons why you'd buy certain waterfronts and you won't buy other waterfronts. And that just massively limits your capital growth and your potential resale market at the end. But most people wouldn't have a clue about that unless they were in that marketplace and seeing all the options at any given time and understanding it. So there's just always little subtle things in certain areas that you just can't quite um, understand. And I've got a million of these examples. We I, I rented a property when I first came back from London across the road from Rushcutters Bay Yacht Club. And I thought, great location, you know, view of Rushcutters Bay, little apartment, balcony, this is heaven. Me and my partner were stoked. And then we realized that every morning at 6 a.m., they emptied all the bottles from the yacht club oh. and it would just be like clattering like every <laughs> yeah. single morning seven days a week at like six o'clock in the morning with all the bottles smashing and it's like this idyllic view gone you'll never know that unless you were there like and, you, and yeah. even even when i was there i still didn't know it so it's just those little things you just got to be so careful of i'm not i'm, <laughs> I'm not sure if you're going to know I, I don't know how well you know the water around all around the place but uh bundle i mean is that in your neck of the woods i mean good or bad water i mean I... um it's 10 minutes away from me but i i honestly hand on heart wouldn't have a clue and and tosty don't know the street so i'd have to dig into that one for you yep yeah if bad anybody's water, local water, and tosty. midges yeah. there you, go. you don't want midges Jeez, this is, I, I'm, I'm getting educated here about water like who'd have thought water would be such a such a kind of investment um yeah the, the metrics you, of you don't want to be at the end of the canal is that the point like you, well, there's a whole heap of different variables and this is the same in any suburb like you know you, you don't want to be whatever within striking distance of that noise or in that traffic flow or what there's so many different variables and whatever you buy the point is i think you just you need to have someone that's on the ground doing it all for you yep yeah, yeah there's a ton of issues with the waterways yeah very interesting I think We've probably got time for one or two. I mean, the audience is still still absolutely pouring in, and they've become more active in the comments. So, if people, we probably got time for one or two more questions. So, I'm sure Joe's Throw got about fifteen there. questions. Throw them in there, people. I'm absolutely. Yeah, we, I don't quite understand that one. W, come on, Scott Agate. We also use you for this. I'm not sure what's that in reference. Yeah, would, yeah, yeah I, I think I, he's I, saying. I, I think they're saying, can we use you for this? Like for finding the yeah. development site and doing that stuff. Uh, uh, well, I mean, my service, I'm not a buyer's agent, so I, yeah, um, I my right. business is pretty unique um, globally, really, um, and it's deliberately set up that way. So um, I, I put myself as a negotiation specialist. I work with clients that have got the ability to find their own property before I, before I effectively stand in your shoes to out-negotiate the agent. That's what it is in a nutshell. So that's what the aim is, to, to win the negotiation and buy it at the lowest possible price. But I don't go out of my way to... Um, I don't meet any clients. I don't see any property. I do it all from um, from home. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, and I mean that's the biggest that's the biggest hurdle. Why does the real estate agent? Why does the vendor have a trained you know negotiator on their side? And here you are going up against them like it's like it's like you know you're a you're a vet. <laughs> How are you meant yeah. to go up against a trained real estate agent? 
Well, they're, they're paid to extract an emotional premium from every buyer and often they get rewarded for their performance in doing that, like a scaled fee. So, you know, you've got to know what you're going into. You, you're going up against what most counts as a skilled professional who trains weekly or daily in scripts and dialogues to extract that premium. So, you know, go in with your eyes wide open. And I would say don't start um, what you can't finish. There's no point putting an offer on the table or just dipping your toe in and see what happens with the agent. You're just making the job for a BA or someone like myself who's going to negotiate the outcome for you uh, harder than it should be. So if you can't start it, keep your mouth shut, do all your research and then reach out to a professional who can step in your shoes and, and get you the best outcome. Yeah, and yeah. any kind of hot tips for dealing with this hot market at the moment? Um, because I know a lot of people start it low and watch it grow. Well, that's probably not the right, but they they oh, this property's worth eight hundred thousand, but I think I can get it for seven hundred and seventy. Um, I want to go fast though, so I'll give them seven seventy and try and build up. Like, have you got any tips um, for a hot market? I think. It all comes back to the things that we've discussed. Like you, you've got to know the asset that you're buying, what it's worth. So if you know yeah. what the market value is and then you know what your absolute walkaway price is, you won't be emotional about missing out and you won't be at risk of paying an emotional premium. So they're really important things. Um, you know, we touched on no point offering low. Um, I coach all my clients to offer 95 to 97% of the way towards the final number because I think that has great cut through. Um, so I think if you're doing those things, um, the other big mistake buyers make, I feel, is that um, they're scattergun. They're looking at, you know, 10 different suburbs or five different suburbs. You're never going to have market knowledge to the depth that you're not going to overpay unless you really understand the market that you're, that you're buying in. So I would say one to two suburbs is the ideal scenario, four to eight weeks of really heavy um, involvement in that in that. Uh, community and you'll you'll understand real-time market dynamics that will enable you to buy really well nailed it i'm all for that cool. scotty how could people get in touch with you uh probably the easiest way is to go to the website so hello house which is the german spelling h-a-u-s.co but i'm on i mean i'm super active in in the oz property group so Thank you for um, tagging me and stuff. I love tag Scott every every uh, every couple of days or something. There's usually something I'm like, oh, Scotty would, yeah. would definitely be able to answer that or understand that. Um, before we kind of, I, I wanted to know what, what's next for you, Scott. Like, what are you what are you kind of five, three to five year plans if you're comfortable um, sharing? Property wise, uh, I'd love to do sort of one every twelve to eighteen months. And the grand vision for me is, um, and it has been since I started, kind of on this beginner developer journey, and I'm still definitely learning every day is that I want to build like one-off trophy homes that that's what I'd love to do. And it doesn't have to be stupid expensive, but um, really nice, beautiful homes, like one of the nicest homes in each suburb, wherever that may be we're living in. Um, so that'd be a goal to get to that point. If I can building one of those every few years would be great because I love design and architecture. Um, I want to do some more stuff in Japan with the ski lodge things. Um, Cause I'm just having so much fun doing that and love going over there with family and friends. Yeah. When are you heading? Uh, you heading over to Japan soon, or because? Oh, hopefully in the next over. month or so, if they drop the border. But realistically, next January is with the family is going to be the next opportunity when it's winter, and yeah, assuming we can all get over there. And yeah, and then the other big thing for me is um, we discussed this last week. You guys, well, you and I, um, Jeff is just a laser focus on building Hello House. I think you know three and a half years old now. Definitely got product market fit. I'm working nationwide, but I I really want to grow a team now that can take advantage of 
um, the hard yards that I've put in so far and, and um, build that into a really great service so it benefits consumers and keep more of their money in their pocket. Yeah, some, um, something, um, I mean, just one last one. I know, I know you sort of, you've added heaps of value already, but, and I think it's probably going to be repeating. But I, I just see this one, and I see a lot of people saying this. They're sort of saying that they keep getting priced out no matter their skills at negotiating. Um, I mean, we, we, I'd almost love to be able to sort of get these people on the stream and almost kind of do a, a role play. I mean, we can't, or we could, but um, we won't because yep. that's a live TV. But yeah, what, what do you sort of, um, somebody keep, keep losing every deal i mean i think that's oh, maybe in the agents I've got yeah a, i've got a good one for this actually call up all the agents for the properties that have just sold okay if you see a property that's under offer call up the that's agent hey tip. mr a no because that that is a current market value so i went for a property it was 550 on the list price i said i'm going to go to 620 i called up the agent around the corner he's like Oh, this place went for 680. I was like, that's un that's unreal. Boom. This then property then goes for 650,000. So you just call up the agents that have stuff that are under offer because that is true market value. Because what will happen, you'll see, oh, sold in February on realestate.com.au, but that actually settled three that was sold three months ago and settled oh, then. So exactly. So that's the true market value is what's actually under offer and actually asking the agents. Now, if you actually Speak to them. Sometimes they won't give it to you because they're like, it's not under, con it's under contract. It hasn't gone unconditional, blah, blah, blah. But that is how you find That's how I find it. I don't know, Scott. Do, you, do I take yours? Um, do I really take yours? <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I kind yes. of look, <laughs> look at that question in a slightly different way in terms of that because I would look at it and go, okay, well, if you keep losing every deal to people willing to spend over value, this, their, their market value, right? So are you looking in the right area if you don't see value at the same prices that, people are paying so they're setting market value all the time if you keep missing out maybe you need to look in a different suburb where you perceive the value to be more in line with the the budget expectations um but it's hard right if people keep overpaying for property um and keep pushing that ceiling price further and further the only thing that i would say to you is going to change that is you've got to get to properties pre-market and off-market so that means working a lot harder to build rapport with the key agents that are going to find those listings in your marketplace that's going to create up to 40% more options because 40% of stock sells pre or off market. And it's going to limit the amount of buyer competition that you've got. So the more days on market means the more competition you've got. So get to them sooner and that's going to help you negotiate better. And, have and uh, Megs, Megs has followed up and said thanks. So, I mean, that's just been, yeah, I just, I, I knew that you'd, you'd have some fantastic boat answers and I, I agree wholeheartedly with those. So I think we'll finish it off on that um, unless, yeah, we'll kind of, yeah, what are you um doing doing that now? Appreciate the help. There you go. There you sure. go. Boom. Building those Thanks, relationships. Scott. Thanks for having me again. Thank you very much, Scotty. This has been a fantastic yeah. session. No, it's been it's been amazing. I really appreciate the the value that you add to the group and, and you're doing it just out of the kindness of your heart. Um I don't say that about every live guest. Um, I've probably say that about one or two, but um you know, it's amazing the, the journey you've come on with with OzProp. So thanks for thanks for being there with us. Pleasure, boys. Thank you. Well, hopefully Great some session. people got some good takeaways out of that. I enjoy doing it as well. So I look forward to having a chat to you next time as well. Good night. Good night. Let's go buy a property, guys. See you later. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group. 
with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together.